My name is Nikki Shukuts. I am proudly the co-founder of Tiny Hearts Education. I'm 31 years of age and I have two beautiful babies. One, Nala, who is two and a half, and my second bub is four months and his name is Wolf. All right, so my name is Joseph Scroy and I'm, I'm an obstetrician and gynaecologist as well as also fertility specialist here at uh, East Melbourne at uh, Freemasons and also Melbourne uh, IVF where I do all my births and also welcome little bubbers into the world. And so part of the joy of my job is being able to experience the wonderful birthing experience that women, all women do um, and that wonderful joy that I see in the, pa- in the parents' eyes. And I thought, nothing better to be able to experience that or allow other people to experience that through a podcast series where we look at different birthing experiences that women have and sort of impart some of that joy, that wonder of the whole birthing experience uh, to other people. And also at the same time, give a little bit of background, like from a medical perspective about why things happen in labour. Because I think for some women, particularly the information that we get about childbirth, it's a bit sensationalised. We hear about it on social media or we're watching it on television and it may not necessarily be the truth so you know we're here to demystify a few things but certainly very happy and I'm so proud that uh, Tiny Hearts Education is helping produce and and bringing this uh, podcast series together Um, we're calling this uh, podcast series Bump Birth and Beyond uh, and I'm going to be hosting it and we're going to be talking to a range of people with a range of uh, unique birthing experiences over the course of, uh, of our journey. So thanks, Nikki, firstly, for coming. Thank you. And look, you've got what I think is probably a really cool story about your birthing experiences, both with Nala and also Wolf. And I thought we'd take us back to, well, take us back to, you know, when you sort of thought about becoming a mum and and maybe even talk a little bit about how long it took you to become pregnant with Nala in the first place. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it was my husband who was putting the pressure on me to have a baby. I was growing a business at the time and um, my sole focus was on um, Tiny Hearts Education and um, creating this wonderful business that we have today. Um, and my husband was like, well, when are we going to have this conversation about kids? I really want to have babies. Um, actually, one of the girls reminded me in the office this morning uh, when I woke up on my, I think, it was my 27th birthday. He said, your eggs are dying. And <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, so really, really keen. He loves he loves children and always, always wanted to be a dad. So I got to the point where I'd kind of put the conversation off and say, you know, once the business becomes, you know, to this point or this point. And um, yeah, basically he said, well, we need to have this conversation. We need to set a time frame on when we're going to actually have babies. And when we actually sat down and I thought about it, there was not one good reason that I had yeah. that we couldn't start trying at that point. So I was like, oh, okay, let's do it. So um, we started trying and I found there were so many things I didn't know. Um, You know, obviously having, you know, that medical background of being a paramedic, I had a bit of an insight to it, but I could not believe the amount of things you actually need to know, like timing and, um, you know, all these different things. So I went ahead and researched like I do. I'm very crazy like that. I wanted to know the ins and the outs. And um, I certainly wasn't one of those women who was like, whatever, when it happens, it happens. And I was okay with that. I wanted to plan it down to the minute. Um, so we w- weren't trying actually for long at all. I um, fell pregnant really quickly within, um, I think, about two months. 
um, we did end up losing that baby oh, at about so the 10, 10 week mark, which was really upsetting. Um, yeah, that's definitely yeah. a whole nother story, I think. Well, you no, know? I guess you probably, first of all, I mean, I think it's actually quite good that you raised the point about, in fact, the man taking responsibility firstly for wanting to become pregnant. I mean, mm. it's, it, it's often left to the woman, I think, who's sort of worried about the egg time. And a lot of women do leave it, unfortunately, until, you know, well past their 35th birthday where the egg quality is diminishing. Mm -hmm. I have this uh, sort of little mantra where I say to people they should consider pregnancy when they're physically, financially, socially, medically and emotionally ready to do so. And, of course, everyone sits back and goes, how how am I going to get all five things in a row, right? (laughs) But I think you alluded to it quite nicely is that not all five things are going to match. You know, you're not going to get the house with the four bedrooms and you're not going to get the two cars in the garage. Sometimes they're going to be a bit of give and take on Mm -hmm. a lot of that. And I suppose as long as you're well supported, whether it be by a partner or by someone else or your family Mm -hmm. and you're you're medically fit, that's probably a good time to consider pregnancy. But I think the other thing, I mean, I I think miscarriage in itself is not really, I mean, we know we're focusing on birth stories, but maybe if you're happy to share that is maybe we talk a little bit about miscarriage because a lot of people think you know oh well you know we've had a miscarriage and we've got to bottle it up just the two of us Mm. Um, but if there's one thing that I've learned is it's really important to share that experience with people Mm. because you do need that emotional support with others so Maybe tell us a little bit about, I mean, I was at 10 weeks, so, you, you know, yep. you're sort of getting excited at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, we were really excited when we found yeah. out because we couldn't believe that it happened so quickly because I think once you start to research, you think, oh, well, it's actually the likelihood of falling pregnant um, in a short amount of time. It's actually really difficult and mm. the odds are definitely against you. So yeah. we were really excited. We were away on a holiday and um, I didn't have any feelings or anything like that, but I thought, oh, I think I should have had my period and I think it was about two days late or something like that and I went and took a test and um, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, oh, my God. I was more in shock. I honestly just did not think it would happen so quickly. Um, And, yeah, we were just over the moon. We told our family and everyone was really excited. They'd kind of been waiting. Like we'd been married for a couple of years and kind of been waiting and, you know, patiently waiting to hear the the news. Um, So, yeah, we told, you know, our um, close close friends as well, um, you know, before that, 12-week mark because we made the decision that if something was to happen, then they're the people we'd be telling anyway and they'd be the ones that would be supporting us through. So we went for the first scan and we saw the heartbeat, which I think was around the six-week um, yeah. mark, which was really exciting. That was a, um, you know, something that you always remember seeing, you know, the heartbeat. Um, and then it wasn't until I actually had booked in for my first appointment with the obstetrician. And I think that was around the 10-week mark. Right. And that's when um, I was recently scanned and they couldn't find the heartbeat and obviously delivered the news and it's absolutely heartbreaking at the time. I think once you find out you're pregnant, your whole view of your life and what's going to happen in the next nine months and then the next year and the next 10 years completely changes. You become um, less selfish. You become, it's all about, you know, um, the baby. And, you know, for us, we were talking about Christmas and the baby was going to be here for Christmas and and things like that. And um, yes, it was really, really heartbreaking um, to, to find out, you know, that we had lost the baby. We, we definitely struggled with it. And, and did, I, and yep. did you have, did you have, I mean, obviously you told the family, so their yep. reaction and I suppose how they supported you through that time. Yeah, they were amazing. They were obviously um, 
really, I was really open with yeah. everyone who knew, like we had let them know um, in that time. I found it difficult definitely at the start to talk about. Um, it was really hard to actually have a conversation, but, you know, I own um, the business with my sister, so we're very, close. very close. Yeah. Um, and she's also experienced and, and gone through a miscarriage mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. I think having that um, and having her there and, and her support and then seeing her go on to fall pregnant and then have um, my nephew Huxley, yeah. you, you know, I guess it is that little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but, yeah, you definitely need a lot of support because it's, yeah, like I said, it's just absolutely heartbreaking and and for me just as much as my husband. Yeah. Um, like you say, you plan for something and you put time and effort and research into yeah. it and then it happens and you can't even describe the feeling that you have when you find out that you're pregnant and then to obviously, you know, go to the other end to yeah. find out that you've lost the bum. And I think I think it's important that we, we raise this because I think, you know, around 25% of pregnancies end in a miscarriage. And a lot of people ask me when they're coming for that first appointment, like, when should we tell people that we're pregnant? Mm. And often people want to wait until 12 weeks until everything's okay. But I say to them, look, I think it's important to tell people that you know that would support you. And those people would support you whether you have a miscarriage or if something's happening with the pregnancy mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, something goes wrong with the pregnancy so that you've got that level of support and confidence, just not the two of you or by, you by yourself if you're a single woman who's trying to go through the emotional distress of a miscarriage. I think the hardest, probably the hardest part of my job, and I get a lot of satisfaction in my job in terms of helping people become pregnant but also delivering babies or helping catch babies, as I like to say, <laughs> but um, is that is telling people that they've miscarried. I mm. mean, doing a scan and seeing, um, seeing you know, and, and not seeing a heartbeat is, is pretty distressing. And sometimes they run in threes, so sometimes, you know, you see, you know, two women in a row who've had a miscarriage and, it, and it's, you know, it takes a toll even on, on someone who's a, a remote from the situation yes. to a certain degree. But I think it's important to provide care to those people and I think it's important, therefore, for you. I'm glad that you, your family was supportive because yeah. it's particularly important. So, yeah, so t- then going on to, to and I, I, the other thing to talk about with miscarriages is they're very common, we've said that before, but the other thing to say is that your chance of a pregnancy, an ongoing pregnancy after you've had a miscarriage is 70% greater in the first three months. So historically doctors used to say, look, wait six months. Mm-hmm before you get pregnant again. Yeah. But in actual fact, you should get, should tr- if you're wanting to get pregnant, you should try to get pregnant soon. Yep. So yep. I actually tell people, don't wait for another period. Mm-hmm. If your pregnancy hormone level drops to normal and there's no pain and there's no bleeding, just start trying again. And, and I've had a few couples, many couples actually, who don't even have another period and they're, then they're pregnant again within sort of a short amount of time. So I yep. think it's important to know, number one, it's definitely common, but number two, that it, it's not the be-all and end-all. Um, and, but if you do have multiple miscarriages, and we might might leave that for another day, uh, there's you know, obviously help at hand. Mm, so interestingly then, because you told the family straight off the bat with the miscarriage, mm-hmm. when did you tell them about Nala? How many weeks were you when you told them about I definitely Nala? waited a little yeah. bit longer. I think it was about 10 or 11 weeks. I told my sister. Yes. Um, and she, I think she was the only one to know because it's really distressing for everyone else. And I think that's the thing as well. Although it's really great to have the support, you also don't want to put them through it again if you can avoid it because, yeah. you know, there's, you know, our um, parents who think they're going to have grandbabies yeah. and, and they go through that kind of up and down as well. So I think that was more of the decision the next 
time. It was almost like let's protect them a little bit as well. Let's not, you know, jump the gun and and make sure that this is a viable pregnancy. Um, So, yeah, I think we got close to that 12-week mark before we started to really tell um, everyone, except my sister because I was a bit sick. Um, But, um, yeah, and then even the office girls, I think I was 17 weeks. Before you told people. Yes, before I actually, and 20 weeks before I actually fully announced it. On any social, so. (laughs) (laughs) So how long did it take you to become pregnant after the miscarriage? It was quick. Like you say, yeah, it was definitely quick. I think it was, um, yeah, it would have only been maybe two months, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yep. I mean, I think, you know, and that's what I try to say to, to women who've had miscarriages. I say, you know, stay strong. And the other thing is there will be light at the end of the tunnel because it is, you get into a really dark cloud and you think like the world's against you, but. You know, invariably, as you know now, you know, I've got two lovely kids after mm. a miscarriage. So that's great. So only a couple of months later and you're yes. pregnant with Nala. So yes. tell us how that sort of pregnancy happened or the, how the pregnancy sort of went. And uh, um, Pregnancy's hard. <laughs> I don't want to be a victim, but yeah. women, oh, they're so tough. And I feel yeah. like we put a facade up to pretend everything's good, and I definitely did with Nala, with yeah. Wolf. Everyone's like, how are you? I'm like, not good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I think it's just hard, like, you know. Um, did you get much morning sickness? Yeah, I was. I was. I felt quite sick through the whole pregnancy, oh. and I think the different, being told different things, like once you reach this stage, you know, in your second trimester, you're going to have so much energy. I'm like, I'm waiting for the energy. Yeah. Um, but also the first pre- um, pregnancy compared to the second, definitely you have a lot more time to relax on the first one, which you don't realise. Yeah. So you can get home and you can sleep or, you know, if you can't go into work and you work from home and, and things like that. I think... Um, well, I, I used to say, I, I like to say to, to, to people that, you know, 300, 400, in fact, when we were cave people, if a woman got pregnant, she would have just sat in the cave for a little bit. The guys would have gone out hunting and then they would have come back. Whereas now, you know, we're leading busy lives and everyone's working. Mm. And it is quite difficult to maintain a healthy lifestyle, not be fit and healthy in your pregnancy, also work and then feel this overwhelming sense of nausea, vomiting and tiredness (laughs) on top of all of that. It's tough. So it is tough, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in your first pregnancy and then notwithstanding the fact that in the second pregnancy you could look after the first one as well. Yes, yes. And I thought with the second pregnancy... Going into it, I thought, well, my buddy's done this before and knows what to do and this will be easier than the first one. But I didn't find that either. I found, like you say, obviously a toddler. She was um, just under two. Um, You don't stop. You don't get to relax. You don't get to put your feet up after work. Um, But also, um, yeah, I I think I was um, just feeling a lot sicker as well with um, With the second one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so going back to Nala's pregnancy Mm -hmm. then, obviously everything, you you do the 10-week scan. Where did you find out the sex of the baby? Uh, we did the, what is that test? Yes, we did that. So we found, I think it was about 10 weeks or 11 weeks where we found out. out. Yes. What type of gender reveal did you do? Uh, We didn't do anything to her. Do you know what? I think because of the first experience with the miscarriage, it, it kind of um, overshadowed the second time because, you know, we didn't want to go too over the top. We didn't yes. want to do because I guess, you know, ignorance is bliss for the first time yeah. and then the second time you just, you're so worried all the time. Until until I had her, I was just completely, worried. yeah, worried. Because of the miscarriage? Yeah, thing? yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. I just, I didn't want that feeling again. And, yeah. you know, it's like it takes a long time to fall pregnant and then, you know, you, you go through it and it's so, 
like I say, when you're planning your life, if something like that happens, you, you could be talking a whole year before you reach where you're wanting to reach. And um, yeah, I think that kind of plays on my mind. I'm pretty goal orientated and driven. Yeah. So um, and I yeah. think that's another thing to say, you know, we, I often think that we live in an Uber Eats society, which means <laughs> that, you know, everyone wants something, order on your phone and there it is there and then. 100%. And I think the whole process of pregnant, because you become pregnant, it's, you can't say it's going to happen mm. tomorrow and that'll mean we'll have a baby before Christmas and mm-hmm. we'll be in a new house by January. <laughs> and, you know, and, and particularly for people that are type A personalities who have that goal-driven set mentality. Mm. As, and then the other thing is you've got to get a kid and, of course, all the rules go completely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that whole, whole A mentality completely goes. But yeah. I think you know, it's important to ma- maintain an element of realism even though it's quite hard to. Um, but, you know, it, I suppose, the reason why I asked about gender reveals because we're seeing more and more of them commonly on social media. Yes. But, of course, now we're getting, you know, not only, I remember when my daughter was 13, yeah, she's 13, almost turning 14. I mean, no one heard of a gender yeah, reveal because yeah. you didn't find out the baby's sex until 20 weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now people are doing gender reveals and now it, we, there was always a baby shower but yep. now there's uh, baby cues. <laughs> so, you know, it seems like we've done this global thing of just more and more celebrating. It's, it's probably so good. True. It's probably a good thing <laughs> celebrating, celebrating not only the pregnancy as well as the birth. So, all right, so we get to we get to 10 weeks. We've done the NIPT test. Presumably the 12-week scan was beautiful. It was, yes, everything um, was good. And we're looking at 12 weeks. We're looking to see if there's any other features of any concern, particularly the baby, the heart, the lungs, making sure the kidneys look good. So the pregnancy continues, and so when did you? When did the morning sickness sort of abate? I probably got better around uh, around the seventeen weeks. So I didn't really want to say anything to um, anyone until I kind of could confidently say, "You know, things are really so going how'd well." You hide it? <laughs> um, I just I was in my office and yeah. I just shut the door, and everyone just thought I was super busy for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like even smells from you know we do a team lunch on Thursdays, yeah, and at this time it was the same thing. So it was taco. Oh, it was Tuesdays, taco Tuesdays every Tuesday. Yeah. And I couldn't stand the mincemeat mm. and I would just become, I've got a, a teleconference or I've got this or I've got that. And, and no one was sus? No one was sus, no, because yeah. I don't, yeah, no one was sus because oh, I didn't tell anyone that I had a miscarriage. So no one in the office had known either that we're actually trying for a baby. So I think, um, and they knew what I was like, um, that I was very focused on the business yeah. at the time. So, yeah, no one. And then it, afterwards um, they were like, oh, that oh. makes sense. Why are you eating all that <laughs> chocolate and chips and <laughs> all this kind of stuff and get us getting us all involved in it. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I remember there was a medical device rep that came, often comes and sees me and um, and this one time she came with a bag and, and inside the bag there was Smith's chips in it. And uh, I said, oh, are you, are you pregnant? She goes, how did you know? <laughs> I said, it's a dinky way. <laughs> Who else, why else would you be eating Smith's chips? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so, yeah intuition is probably a good thing. Yes, um, yes. All right, so, so you didn't tell people until 17, then 20 weeks. Yes. And everything was going well. In terms of the pregnancy, there's yeah. no concerns. Yep, up until other this than point. yeah, other than just um, you know the, the kind of and there was nothing you know I wasn't in hosp- hospitalised for morning sickness yeah, or anything yeah. like that. It was just I found it. You know, and when did you, when did you start to show? Like a lot of people say, you know, you could can for example, you didn't tell people until 20 weeks. Yeah, so it was a winter and you were wearing big woolly jumpers or well, yeah, I think so. I yeah, I can't remember with the first, definitely with the second. People, it was, like it was a lot quicker. A lot quicker. Couldn't yeah. hide it for that yeah. long. I had to tell them early. I told them at <laughs> nine weeks. So. 
<laughs> so we're 20 weeks and the, pre- the presumably the 20-week scan went beautifully. Yeah, everything was perfect. So, and, and so and we talked about this a little bit before off air, but we you sort of were talking about what sort of then transpired with Nala mm-hmm. in terms of the rest of the pregnancy. So yep. how, how did that uh so I had no. another scan at, I believe it was 32 weeks. Yep. After. Was there any reason for doing the 32-week scan, just for growth or was it worried about the placenta? I had gestational lesser? diabetes. Right. So he wanted to do another scan just yes. to make sure everything was right size with baby. Yeah. Um, and that's when they thought, um, started to pick up, oh, she's uh, measuring a little bit small yes. um, on the... Uh, yeah, um, I can't remember what she was at that point. I think she was like the 24th and they said, nothing to worry about. Yeah. This can happen. You're small um, and we'll just keep an eye on it. So then I right. started to go for, um, you know, scans every few weeks right. and then they started to realise closer to the end, I think it was about 36 weeks that she had um, dropped down to the fourth centile and they said, obviously, this is quite a big decrease now yeah. in, in a short amount of time. And how was your, were your sugars, I mean, first of all, diabetes, in pregnancy is very common and a lot of women get worried about that sugar drink test and can make them feel hangry when they're doing it. But it, it's it's important to know that gestational diabetes isn't a f- reflection necessarily of your diet and mm. what you're doing to the pregnancy. It's more mm-hmm. actually the placenta itself producing hormones that antagonise or are against the action of insulin. But a lot of people think, is it something I've done? It's, yes. It's the placenta. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, and, and that means that, you know, so, and also people think, well, the, in the, does that mean the baby's always going to be big? Yes, that's what I was scared of. Correct. I was like, I'm going to have a huge baby. I'm going to be a small girl, has massive baby. baby. Exactly. But sometimes <laughs> the babies can be small. Yeah. And so that's the other thing to be mindful of. Mm. And so that's why we, as, as obstetricians and midwives, are very particular about monitoring the pregnancy throughout the last bit, of, mm. particularly. And that's the reason why we monitor the sugars as well. So, it, how, did you need any insulin for that? No, it was just all diet. It was yeah. just diet. Just yeah. had to, and I had to keep a. So I took my sugars, I think, four times, times a day, day yep. which I hated. Yeah. Um, and just kept like a, a diary Di- of it, and I just sent it through. Um, yeah. and yeah, he just said everything's fine. You don't need anything. Perfect. Um, which was good. And then we just want monitoring baby because of yeah. that. So he was having some scans and things like that up until the end. So Bubba's gone from the twenty fourth centile at thirty two weeks, and we're monitoring baby now heading towards obviously 40 weeks, which mm-hmm. is term. And mm-hmm. so what's happening between that sort of 32-week mark and the 40-week so mark? The, yeah, 36-week. Um, yeah, I was 36 weeks, almost 37, like just. Um, and I just it, I just was feeling completely normal. It was just one night I hopped into bed and I just noticed a massive increase in her movements to the point I, at the start I thought it was a bit funny. I was like, oh, she's going crazy. She's having a party in there. Yeah. You know, Chris, have a feel, blah, 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 having a laugh and a joke. And then it continued on for about half an hour and I had been aware that any changement uh, any change in movement, you know, you kind of needed to pay attention to if it was out of the ordinary. Um, and I had tried to, I guess, be in tune with her the whole pregnancy. Um, we work with, you know, different organisations that support different things and one of them um, is still aware and they yeah. talk about the, the changes in the movements. And um, so, yeah, when it continued on and then it, it was just nothing, then I didn't feel her move. And I had a scan um, the next morning. Um, so we went in for a So this was, you know, I didn't. she stopped moving kind of. Um, in the, in the AMs, yeah. um, and then I had a scan booked in um, for the morning, and basically she was really really quiet. Obviously, I'd been going quite regularly for scans, and I knew how their demeanour usually was. And she was extremely quiet. And, and one of her first questions was, "Have you felt baby move?" Um, and I said, "No." And she said, "You need to um, you know go to St John of God Hospital now, and you need and we'll um, call baby. your obstetrician, and we just need to have a monitoring. It's you know I can see movements and I can see the heart um, beating." 
Um, but definitely we need to follow up on this because we would expect more movements yeah. at, at this stage. And I think um, it's important to talk about movements just briefly because I think you're 100% correct. I mean, we often get, we often ask women to to tell us whether the baby's been moving. There's actually a study that looked at a kick, whether women should do a kick count uh, versus not doing a kick count. And they actually found that actually monitoring how many kicks the baby does every hour or two hours only raises the level of anxiety for people mm -hmm. and it actually didn't improve the outcomes for babies. Um, and so one of the things that we're very conscious now is getting in tune, exactly what you said before, of the pattern of movement that the baby does over a course of a 24-hour period. So you might find your bubba always moves at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and if baby's not moving as much at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you need to be a little bit worried about that. But there's also, like you said, a heightened or increased movements. They also can be sometimes troubling as well. And it's important you do the right thing. And I think that probably the lesson to take out of this is if you feel the movements uh, decreased or if there's an increased level of activity followed by a period of decreased movements, a lot of people think, oh, geez, I'm, I'm going to page you at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm so sorry. I'm Don't feel sorry. Mm. Just get on the phone, ring the birth suite, ring the hospital, ring the obstetrician because at the end of the day we'd way prefer, and it's no trouble to any of us mm. to accept those sort of calls because at the end of the day we're, we're there to protect you and also to protect the baby. And did 100% right, did an ultrasound scan, then go off and get monitoring. And so the ultrasound scan, obviously the person who was doing that was sufficiently worried uh, that they decided to send you to the birth suite. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we do there is we monitor the baby, we do a little electrical trace of the baby's heart. And so what did they see when they saw that? They said it was definitely, she had increased movements. They thought it was in association to the actually restriction of the bands going yeah. on because they, they said every time we're going to monitor you, there seems to be an increase. So they yeah. thought that it was associated with that. Um, and that's when I spoke to the obstetrician and he and that's when he gave me um, the options. He said, there's no emergency, there's nothing to worry about at this point. Um, she looks healthy. There's nothing that we can see. How many weeks were you now? I was uh, 36 plus 6, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I actually had her at 37 on the day. Right, yeah. okay. So, um, and then we're given the option, and he talked us through our options of induction yeah. or a caesarean. And at that point in time, because we, um, you know, we just assumed that we would have a vaginal birth, yes. um, it was kind of a big, we were a bit, taken aback and we hadn't really thought about that yeah. um, at all. I didn't do any kind of antenatal course before um, I had would Bob. You, would you recommend that? I definitely, yeah, because the second time I was involved in the development of Tiny Hearts Education yeah. course yeah. and it helped massively. Just being informed and empowered, you just go in knowing what's going to happen. You, yeah, definitely. It was I, silly. I, I agree. <laughs> I, think, I, I think a lot of people do ask me whether it's worth, you know, spending that Sunday, full you know, four Sundays <laughs> you know, going to these birthing classes. Yeah. But I, I think in, in part of it's actually just an educational process and it's not about it's not about planning. It's not about saying this is going to happen now and this is going to happen now. Again, the type A personality, it's about understanding what could happen and why certain things are done the way that they're done because, you know, if you think about it, 200 years ago as a woman at your age, before you had a baby, you would have probably seen 30 births. Mm. You would have seen your cousins down the road. <laughs> you would have seen your, your mum probably gave birth after you were born. You know, you would have seen your, your sisters possibly and now the first birth you get to see is your own unless you've watched it on television, such as Offspring or, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. One Born Every Minute, right? So, and that's completely sensationalised. Mm -hmm. 
So I think these birthing classes are quite good because they do actually put a framework and a bit of an understanding of why things happen and the fact that also things can go wrong. It's mm-hmm. a bit like understanding, you know, that if your car breaks down, this is what you do. Um, so uh, I think it's particularly important and it gives you that awareness. So you, I'm glad you decided the second time around not only to go <laughs> to do birthing classes but also to put together an education program. That's, yeah, so important. Worth it. All right, so we get to the 37-week mark and, and, you know, and we often find ourselves in situations as obstetricians and midwives where we've got a bubba where we think, you know, there's the possibility that if we induce labour there's a higher chance of caesarean section and we always impart that. I mean, I, you know, I've got a lady that is going to have their, her baby tomorrow and the same sort of thing, there's decreased fluid around the baby. She's had a day today where the baby's not moved at all and tomorrow we're going to induce her. And I've, and I've said to her, you know, cervix is open already and tomorrow I'm going to pop up the hormone drip and bring her into labour. But I've also said to her that there's probably something underlying in terms mm-hmm. of the placenta maybe not working, mm-hmm. and we're going to definitely give it a go and hopefully we'll have a vaginal birth, assuming that's still what she wants to do. But that there's a likelihood that if the baby's stressed, and I'm what I tend to describe it as a bit like, well, the baby at the moment's just walking. When we go into labour, we're going to ask this baby every time you have a contraction to hold its breath and mm. run at the same time. Mm. If the baby gets tired, the baby's going to tell us that by what's happening in the, in the trace of the baby's heart. And if we're worried at any point in time, we're going to do a caesarean section because the ultimate goal, I think, of birth, no one walks out of a birthing suite or, you know, whether you deliver at home or in a birthing suite with a gold star because they've had a vaginal birth beside a tree you know, with no with no medication, no one gets a gold star mm-hmm. for doing that. You get the gold star for being a mum mm-hmm. and nurturing and looking after that child. And you know, the the reflection. I I asked, you know, one one of my patients. You know, she was saying, you know, talking about birth and stuff like that. And I said, do you know whether your mum had a vaginal birth or a season? She said, no, I don't even mm-hmm. know if I was born by a season or a vaginal birth. So that's how much importance her mum has imparted on her about her own birthing experience. So. <laughs> I think we, we do focus on birth. It's great that we do, mm-hmm. but we, and like I said earlier on, each birthing experience is unique to a woman and she shouldn't be judged for the type of experience she had. So I think this importance of having a vaginal birth at the exclusion of everything else is, is not necessarily the right thing. So mm-hmm. what in the end, you were given the option of a vaginal birth or a Caesar. So what did you guys decide to so do? So we decided to um, try to be induced, yep. which failed. Yeah, unsuccessful. Unsuccessful, okay. <laughs> Politically um, correct term. <laughs> right, right. I'd hate to use the wrong. Um, yeah, so and... And, and why didn't why was it unsuccessful? Because, I mean, we, we put in gel or sometimes I... Yeah, I sometimes, sometimes I put in a catheter, like a balloon catheter. Okay. So you put in a you put in the gel and what happened the next morning when... All I just had like some mild discomfort throughout um, the night, like not, not even as bad as what I usually get, period pain. Yeah. And then... Um, he tried to break my waters in the morning. Yes. Which was really super painful. It's uncomfortable. No, yeah. Oh, no. No, nah, I'd say painful. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he just said that we can't. Yeah. And then, then it was another conversation about what do you want to do from yeah. here. And there was um, we could try t- uh, induction again. Yes. But I believe there was a time frame. That, Six hours. Yep, that we had to wait for that. Um, uh, or we can go to C-section. Or he said if you are not feeling comfortable with any of this, you can go home. Yeah. And that was really overwhelming to hear that. I was like, well, I could go for a C-section. Have a baby. Or I could go home. I was like, what do you mean? I need more guidance. Did you feel, did you feel, and, and people often ask, you know, what would you do? Mm. Um, but part of, I suppose, the art of being a good 
a good health provider is being able to empower a person to make an informed decision. Did you feel like you were having an informed decision? Um, Did you feel like, okay, well, I've got clear choices here and I know what the consequences of each of those choices are? Yeah, I I think that um, he explained that well and because obviously it had been going on for a little bit as well and he'd explained at the start that this is the the way. So we had been talking about it um, leading up to that. Um, But the reason that I decided to go with C-section is I just didn't feel, something felt like it wasn't right. right. I felt like... It, you know, her behaviour and they were saying, oh, you know, she's playing up when the monitor's going on. Yeah. I'm like, I, I would have, was being monitored three times a week for the last month prior to that yeah, yeah, yeah. and she never played, played up. When, yeah. And I was just like, I feel like something's not right and I couldn't put my finger on it. And now in hindsight, I'm like, she was telling me. Yeah. She was telling me something was wrong yeah. and she couldn't do anything else. It was just me who had and to it, actually... And isn't s- interesting that because I think we often, and, and because we're so blinkered sometimes as healthcare professionals just to the numbers, mm-hmm. we often forget that the, probably the most important person in knowing what's happening with the baby is the mother and mm-hmm. the mother's intuition of what's happening inside. And, and that's probably a lesson if there's any healthcare providers out there listening that in actual fact, if mum tells you, I don't think something's wrong, mm-hmm. you better listen to her. Yep. And, and that's true not, I mean, it, it's Probably it's it's certainly more true for a woman who's in a second pregnancy because they know what they've already gone through it before. Yes. But even in their first pregnancy, I mean, if you're if you're sitting there going, "Oh, geez, I don't think something's right here," mm. it's probably not right. Yeah, yeah. Which is a really strange thing, like you say, to be in the situation where people are telling you the numbers are right, yeah. but you feel like they're not. Yeah. Um, I think it, yeah, and that's always a message that I send to anyone that I um, talk to, you know, through Tiny Hearts and our courses and things like that is is exactly that. If you don't feel like it's right, then, you know, follow it up because um, something might be wrong and there's no other way, um, you know, to tell because I even felt like, oh, I feel like I'm being over the top. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, you know, even going for a C-section, I'm like, is this dramatic? Like, yeah, am I being yeah. dramatic just because I feel like something's wrong? And then um, obviously we went through the whole process and it was the best decision and it needed to be made at that time. Yes. So, um, yeah, in hindsight it was like, yeah, something was wrong and you felt that yeah. even though your numbers looked fine. And Exactly. And I, and I think that's so not only in terms of pregnancy and your baby when it's inside but also in terms of, um, when you've got a kid because I think that's the other thing, people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm probably a poor example because being a doctor, if I've got, you know, one of my kids falls over and whatever, I say, come on, get up, you'll be right. Yes. right? One day they're probably going to have a broken leg. <laughs> get up. <laughs> and yes. I'll be saying, oh, get up. I know, yes. Um, but I think it's important that, you know, as a parent, mm-hmm. if you have any concerns with respect to your child, mm-hmm. that you go and see help. And sometimes, and you've got to remember also that some doctors may dismiss you, but if you still think there's something wrong, don't go, I went to the doctor and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And that's what I often say to women when they come and see me. I go, look, I think everything's okay at the moment, but if in two hours' time you think something's not right still, I want you to come back. Mm -hmm. Don't think just because I've told you today, this minute, that everything's good, that you're going to be okay. You've got to come back and see me in two hours if you're worried. Mm. Right, so Nala gets born via cesarean section. Yes. And how much did she weigh? Do you remember? This is a trick for you. Uh, and what's the date of birth? What time was she born? Okay, right. She was born at 8.24 a.m. <laughs> on the 12th of the 2nd, 2017. Yeah. And she weighed uh, 2.2, maybe right. 2.3, somewhere so around she there. she was a tiny child. Yeah, she was. She tiny was little. Yeah. Yes. Um, Do you know how much that is in pounds? 
is it five I something? Don't know. I just yeah. ask because everyone asks me, well, how much are you know, when I say, oh, your baby's about 3.3 kilos, I go, well, how much is that in pounds? I go, oh, I don't know how much is it in pounds. I don't know. I can tell you how much it is in bananas. Yeah. It's $2.99 a kilo. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's like. I don't know. 2.5. Uh, no. Times 2.2, yeah, 2, whatever yeah, it is. 5.5 pounds or something like that. So she's born and she's quite small because I think, I mean, without having a calculator beside me, but 2.2 kilogram baby at 37 weeks is still a small, tiny tot. So what did they, what, what sort of things, so you had a paediatrician presumably there? Yes, yes, we did. And so what, uh, what sort of things were running through the paediatrician's mind and what were they telling you with respect to Nala at that point? Well, when she came out, she was crying, which is yeah. great, um, and they took her away straight away. Um, oh, by the way, just track back a bit. So you, yep. you got the Caesar. Yep. You made this decision. Mm-hmm. You felt it was the right decision. I did. Even in hindsight. Kind of, looked, yeah. yeah. At the time I was still like, oh, is this over the top? Is yeah. this the right thing to do? But in hindsight, best thing to do. Yeah. And did you feel like it was a rush decision or you had time to consider Oh, there wasn't much time. No, right. I felt okay. like it was quite, once I made the decision. It all happened. It was so quick. Like yeah. I didn't have any time to process anything, which was probably a good thing at the yeah. time. Um, did you find any of the process itself, you know, the... <sighs> having the spinal anaesthetic, did you find any of that? I mean, obviously being a paramedic, you probably have seen stuff like that before, you know, what putting a drip is in. Yep. Did you find any of it sort of being on the other side, being sort of like, oh, geez? I don't like not being in control of the situation when, you know, there were so many people in the room and um, that was really impressive, I think, because they were, even though that it was was quite quick, everything happened really quickly, I was still really informed. um, I was really reassured. I felt comfortable with everyone who was in the room and everything was explained to me, um, which I think helped a lot. And, yeah, it was just, I just remember it being over and done with really quickly. My husband was more, fr- he was really freaked out yeah, about yeah. Have, me having a Did cesarean. Did he stand up to watch the baby come out? Uh, no, he did not. He, yeah, he was lucky to sit in the room, my husband. <laughs> he um, he was very confronted yeah. um, by the fact. Do you think he would have been all right in a vaginal birth? I'm sure he would Probably have been. Probably not. I don't know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> that That's this, and this is where it comes back to, I yeah. didn't even, like if we'd done a birthing course, he would have been more informed. But all of a sudden we're having a C-section and he didn't expect it and we didn't really have time to talk about it and he He's like, I was just scrubbed up and I was in there. And I was like, yeah, it's quite full on and for some you too. Of the birth, <laughs> some of the birthing classes, and I'm sure you'll, you do as well, is they have they actually get a peak people in a room that would look very similar to a, a, um, a theatre, mm-hmm. an operating theatre, and they'll actually get you know, mothers and dads to stand around the bed and say, this is how many people are going to be in the room. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, there's the anaesthetist, there's the anaesthetic nurse, there's the scout, there's the scrub nurse, there's a technician, there's a paediatrician, there's the midwife. We're already at seven people. And now you've got the obstetrician and you've also got the assistant. So there's nine people in a room (laughs) that's no bigger than, you know, three metres by sort of five or six metres. Pretty overwhelming, yep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they're all strange faces, but the yes. only face that you do know is obviously your own obstetrician, so yes. that, would, that would have been at least a reassuring person yes. to Yeah, and I had my husband, Anna, was allowed to have my sister oh, in nice. as well because it was on a so, Sunday and they said, the price of I one, know, right? so I was very lucky because yeah, I definitely. really, really wanted her there. I yeah. was there for both of her boys. Yeah. So, oh, that's good. Um, yeah, and it was just, yeah, it was quick. It was really so Nala gets born, she gets yep. goes over to the cot, the paediatrician has a look at her, she's crying. Yep. Does she come back to you? Uh, just really briefly. And what was the reason for briefly? Because, I mean, obviously nowadays 
most of us try to keep mum and bub together. Yes, yep. Uh, her temperature was low right. and I believe at that point they had found her sugars to be low. Right. Also, she was on me and I had this sense of impending doom and I was felt sick right. and I, yeah, so I, I said just to my sister, I'm going to be sick. And someone's like, you've got to tell me that, not your sister. Um, and, yeah, I started to be uh, to vomit. So they, yeah. they took her and then. And it's important to realise that that's actually a common symptom in pregnancy, mm. partly because there's a massive. Uh, sorry, in a Caesar, partly because there's changes in that your fluid mm-hmm. uh, as the placenta is born mm. or the placenta gets delivered out of the uterus. There's a major fluctuation in the hemodynamics, so your blood volume yep. and your blood pressure can change and that's that, that impending doom is actually these changes in blood pressure. Yeah, and I didn't you, expect that one. And if you do get it, you've got to tell the anaesthetist sooner rather than later because they can get some medication into you to stop the nausea and also okay. help, the, help the blood pressure go up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I remember patients as a paramedic having impending yeah. doom and um, it was always like quite an interesting thing when yeah. someone says, I feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. Um, it's very confronting and all of a sudden I felt like, felt well, that. I felt like I was going to die. You but see, I had a, It's interesting. You had that little bit of information from being a paramedic. <sighs> And then you had no information. I know, because that's why I thought, like, I've seen births, I've delivered babies in the back of ambulances, I've seen how it works. And um, I think um, as paramedics, we kind of go, well, it's a natural process. We try to calm ourselves down, it's a natural process, and this is going to happen. And, you know, it's a scary thing. Any paramedic is like, oh, no, I don't want a baby, I don't want a baby, because obviously we've got two um, two patients. And that's overwhelming for us. um, Yeah, so it's always one of those things. And I just kind of literally, I'd be like, no, ignorance is bliss. I know what happens. And I know the process, but I didn't know um, the importance of being informed and choices that you have and questions that you need to ask and things like that. So, yeah. all right. So, Nala's now sugar's dropped, mm-hmm. temperature's a bit of an issue, yep. and so presumably she's gone off to the nursery. Yes. Yep. And uh, you now you're in recovery, and, uh, and just tell, talk, walk us through. I mean, I. I think it's always difficult for any parent to. I mean, I, you know, I, I hear I am. You know, some nights I don't get to see my daughter. who's mm. one year age. It's quite distressing being apart from her. But you know, you've just had a baby, and now she's not there anymore. Yeah, and again, you don't expect that if yeah. you're not informed about what could happen. Yeah. You don't expect to be apart from your baby. You expect yeah. that you can have skin on skin and yeah. you're going to breastfeed and it's going to be this beautiful bubble with your newborn. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, um, my two support people, I said, go with her. Like, I don't I don't need you. So yes. I was alone in a, you know, theatre room. Would getting... you change that now? you got two support people. you got your husband and your no, sister. No, I don't think I would. You would bond them both with the bubble? Yeah. With um, St. John of God, they've got a very small um, special care yeah. nursery and um, they were a bit hands-on. Yes. Yeah, so they were a bit helpful with, oh, um, yeah, at the at the time um so yeah my husband and, and Rach had to do a, a few things to help them out as yeah. well you know yeah. some other they pull, pulled some stuff and things yeah. like that so um I think you just it's just not about you anymore yeah. which I found really different with the second time because yeah. when I was getting stitched up and things like that I was just thinking about how she was and it wasn't anything about me same as my recovery like it just it wasn't I, it, I didn't matter so for the, so for Nala in terms of your recovery, how, yeah, let's yeah. talk us a little bit about recovery because I mm. want to focus on a little bit of Nala and then we can mm-hmm. we might get time to focus on Wolfsburg. <laughs> <laughs> might need a two part series with this, right? It's have to be. <laughs> um, so uh, so um, the recovery. I mean, I often say to people, the recovery is for most women, particularly if you've had an elective cesarean section, mind you. The first day can be quite painful, obviously, because it's a season. The second day is the first day that you're getting up, so mm-hmm. that can be quite painful and you need a fair bit of analgesia. But most women, by the time they're going home, are on neurofin and Panadol. And mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. Yep. 
And the other thing to make mention is that historically, again, we used to say that you can't drive for six weeks, but actually, in actual fact, that's two weeks now. So okay. particularly if you're in a private hospital, less so if you're in a public hospital, but if you're in a private hospital, when you're going home on the fifth day, it only means that you've got eight more days or nine more days before you can drive, which is pr- pretty good. Mm, actually, my rats is bad. Yeah, it's uh, 11 more days. No, it's 10 more <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> Whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, it's a short amount of time. <clears throat> yes, and, yeah. And you should always check with the insurance company. But uh, the college, the RANSCOG, which is Royal Australian New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, now says it's two weeks. Okay. And that's enough time for you to be able to splint your leg down in a breaking situation without causing pain or grief to yourself. Okay. So how did you find that recovery then compared to what I've suggested? Because, I mean, yours, whilst technically speaking it's an emergency caesarean section but you've not been in labour, mm-hmm. it's sort of some semi-elective. Yeah. We were doing it on the basis that, yes, we had an unsuccessful induction and now we're at a point where we need to have a baby. Mm. So what time of day was it, 8.24 you said? In the morning, yep. Yeah, so you had a full day of recovery. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so how did you find that recovery? Um, it's pretty full on. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts. It's it very hurt. painful, yeah. yeah. I think um, because I, I didn't want to take anything. I took the first lot that they give you of the medication, the pain yeah. medication, yeah. Um, but it was quite quickly that I had to get up because yes. I wanted to go and see my daughter in special care. So um, it wasn't that long after and I felt really spaced out. There was a lot of decisions that I had to be making as well. She, yeah. she was transferred out and um, there was a lot of things that they wanted me to um, to decide on and I was like, I just I can't have this medication that's making me want to go to sleep because, yeah. um, you know, I need to make decisions. So um, they kind of negotiated with me and gave me, you know, half of this and half of that to get to a level. But yeah. so painful getting up. Like I, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment because it was only probably two or three hours afterwards. So I think you've, I mean, you had a very, it's a very unusual situation where you've had a seizure. Yep. And you're right, you're wanting to see your baby in mm. the process of possibly the bubble leaving you. Yes. Or yep. leaving the hospital. So that's yep. distressing in its own, right? Yes. And also you've had a seizure. Yes. Yep. So it's pretty full on. Yeah, so it definitely was really full on. Second time was a lot better because I could just yeah. sit there and I yeah, didn't have course. to move and I took the medication yeah. and <laughs> yeah. I listened to the professionals and, yeah. you know, I did what I had to do and it was, um, yeah, definitely. So tell us, Nala's obviously, she's gone off to the nursery now. Yep. Sugars, we're worried about. We're worried about. We're worrying about her breathing or breathing was all yep. right? Yeah, so she's worried, worried about um, worried about her breathing, yeah, breathing point, which yep. is very common for a baby who's small and 37 weeks mm-hmm. because we know that the incidence of wet lung, mm-hmm. something called transit tachyneida, well, wet lung is respiratory distress syndrome. Um, we know that the incidence of that, generally speaking, at 37 weeks is around 11% of babies. And the re- a lot of people ask me, why do we do an elective Caesar at 39 weeks and not 38 or not 37? It's because of this wet lung syndrome where the babies can be born and they've still got a bit of wet. Still got, they've, you've got to remember inside the, inside the belly, the, their lungs are just full of fluid. Mm. Yeah? And as they come out, those lungs expand and the air sockets start or the air pockets start working a lot better. But in that first, uh, you know, so certainly at 37 weeks, they can still get this wet lung, which means that they do need help with their breathing. And so part of the issue then is when's that best time to have a baby via cesarean? And it's 39 weeks. So if you have a baby born at 37 weeks vaginally, then the chance of wet lungs is 5%. Okay. If you have a baby vaginally at 38 weeks, it's 5%. And you have a baby vaginally at 39 weeks, it's 5%. With a cesarean section, it's 11% at 37 weeks, and by 39 weeks, it's 5%. Okay. So this is this nice sweet spot where we go that everything's equal. But mm-hmm. at 37 weeks, needing to have a baby because we're worried about the bubba's condition, you know, there's a, there is a high chance that Nala was going to have a bit of wet lung. And mm-hmm. so we're worried about her sugars, we're worried about her temperature, and we're mm-hmm. worried about her wet lung. So 
understandably the paediatrician makes a decision to shift her. Where did she go? So it was the low platelet levels oh, that they wow. found. Okay. So they've done a blood test? Yes, so they've done a blood test and they found that she had the low platelet levels. Yeah. And did she have um, any, did there, any markers of infection at that point? No, right. which was what they were kind of worrying, worrying about, about and investigating. Um, and that's when they said she she does need to go. She needs to go to Monash. Yeah. Um, she needs to be in a special care unit. How low, do you know how low, um, just for my own knowledge, how, how low her platelets were? I think they were 24. Oh, very low. Yeah. So, yeah, that was 24. So it was quite – everything really happened really quickly yeah. in that respect and her being transferred over. Yeah. Um, and it's important to know that. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because we often get worried about babies where we know during pregnancy that the platelets might be low and above her. Okay. Um, because we're platelets, just to tell – just to explain what platelets are, platelets, think about your blood vessels as a hose, yeah? And if you've got – if you put a puncture in a hose, obviously the water's going to come out. Now, the way the body repairs a blood vessel when it's bleeding is it initially starts off with these platelets, which are like little, let's imagine they're like little rocks, little, little, yeah, yeah, let's call them like little rocks that come along to the hole and seal it up so it doesn't bleed until the concrete comes, which is all the other uh, factors, the, the clotting factors that can come and seal it properly. So the platelets then are really important in those in those little vessels where there's a potential for bleeding. And if a baby's got low platelets and we're, as obstetricians, we're in the process of potentially helping the bubba being born as a, 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 with assistance like a vacuum, we can sometimes cause more bleeding under the scalp and bleeding within the brain. So fortuitously, the decision to have a caesarean section was probably a really good one. Because uh, having low platelets, if you know your obstetrician needed to to do that, it, it, there could have been other consequences. So anyway, we we go to the the, the Monash. We go to the Monash. We go to Monash. <laughs> yes. Uh, and um, what happens there? So you you couldn't go. No, I could. I could. So initially they said you couldn't, which I couldn't believe. I was really again. I didn't wasn't informed. I didn't know that could happen. Um, Because you you went the next day. No, so they called around. Um, Initially they thought. I I think initially they thought she would be back very soon. Right. This was the midwives. They thought just stay here. And I was like, oh, I don't really want to stay here. Yeah. I want to go with her. So they ended up finding a um, spot in the private. Um, oh, so I, yep, that's it. Um, so they they had a room and it was just a couple of hours later that, yes. that I was. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Trans- I think that's particularly over. important because a lot of people, particularly if they go from a, a peripheral hospital uh, and they, they and particularly in the public sector, it is very difficult. I think we shouldn't raise the expectation that you will shift immediately with the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was very lucky, I think. You were lucky. Yep. Um, because sometimes particularly the kids can go to the Royal Children's where mm-hmm. there isn't a combined maternity hospital directly there and the children's isn't geared up for maternity patients. So it's important to realise you were fortunate. Bubba mm-hmm. was transferred to Monash. Yep. Um, and that Monash obviously then had the facilities to be able to, manage, to look after you as well from yes. a postnatal perspective. Yes, that's right. So Bubba's in the nurse. And what are the paediatricians telling you there? Um, they're just saying that we need to constantly um, check the platelets. We need to just be rechecking, rechecking, yeah. trying to figure out what's going on, like what's caused this. Yeah. Um, so they were doing um, like scan, they did a scan on her brain to yeah. figure out if there was any bleeding. Um, and yeah, they were just. Um, yeah, trying to figure out what was going on, if there was an infection, if it was the um, placenta. They thought maybe you had a, um, I had a septic placenta that yeah. had caused yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, the, the issue. Um, but it never actually, never found out what 
caused it. Yeah. So it had self-resolved. So every day it was going up. Yep. Yep. And she was, you know, having a bit of um, trouble keeping um, fluid down and things like that. So she had a nasogastric tube um, for a while. And um, yeah, they were just basically saying we just need it to get to a level um, and need it to not go back down. That was um, obviously we had to have the discussion about a blood transfusion if that was to happen. I believe it was below, if it dropped below 20, Mm. they they would go ahead um, with the transfusion, which it luckily didn't. It just kept increasing, increasing. Um, and she's getting better, presumably. Yeah, yeah. She had some jaundice. And we have it a breastfeed? No, not really. I think that that just um, that happened just because of the whole setup of special care and yeah. you're somewhere else and you don't really have that support. Um, you know, I've never breastfed. Yeah. Before, did you end uh, up breastfeeding? We, I did. I tried to, and then I just expressed and did bottle for yeah. a while as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. Like yeah, I think from just the whole thing that happened, yeah, it was a little bit crazy. It wasn't kind of what I envisioned sitting in the room and being talked through it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it certainly was completely different. Hey guys, Nikki here, co-founder at Tiny Hearts Education. At Tiny Hearts, our mission is to bring education to all Australian parents through first aid and birthing courses so you can move through pregnancy, childbirth and parenthood with confidence. To come along to one of our courses, head to tinyheartseducation.com and use the code PODCAST10 to get $10 off any course booking. That's all from me. Let's get back to Joe and today's story. They were concerned that perhaps um, you had developed antibodies, so... um like we do with any infection or anything that's foreign against the baby's platelets, which sometimes can happen. Um, and uh, But that sort of got debunked, as I understand it. Uh, I just, we probably just, yeah, they, they said, listen, we're not sure what caused it. Yeah. And, you know, public hospitals, it's very difficult to actually catch the, the no, right person to yeah. figure out what had yeah. happened, what had been investigated. So we ended up going back to St. John of God and we were just so happy that she was okay. healthy and everything was good and we just thought, oh, the, the main thing that had been sent to us was the placenta. Yeah. It was an issue with the placenta. Um, but we walked away going, okay, well, it must have been that. So what, what, So obviously the obstetrician then sees you presumably at a later point and, and told you about the placenta. Was there any issues? They didn't test the placenta because right. of the difference in hospital, so gotcha. it was transferred with me. Uh, um, but they didn't, okay. yeah, just a bit of miscommunication. So, so, so it was an unknown. Exactly. Right. So that's why it was like, you know, really so, over the top of the second pregnancy, yeah. trying to investigate what happened and find out. So Nala, now almost on the verge of her third birthday, full intents and purposes, you look back at her lovely little girl mm-hmm. and... Uh, and you look on, upon that birthing experience, mm-hmm. and like you said, it was painful and all that sort of stuff. But the end result was absolutely, yeah, yeah, a nice gorgeous healthy, little girl, nice, healthy, healthy yes, baby. Yes, yes. So we had one bubba. Yes, one and, down. And, and often, then people, often whenever a patient leaves my rooms, I go, "I'll see you in eighteen months." <laughs> How long was it for you? Yeah, it was about that. About eighteen yeah. months. That's right, exactly. Yeah, so eighteen months later. And and how long have you been trying for Wolf then? Ah, I think three months. Okay, yeah, so then, not long. Yeah, no, not long. And there wasn't any discussion between having had Nala and Wolf about this whole platelet issue. They sort of just got on the back burner and we yep. knew her platelets were a lot better and so everything was fine. Yes. But she's not had any issues presumably from yep. a health perspective. So yet. she had follow-up with paediatrician yeah. um, and everything was good. Everything so no one was overly concerned. No. And it's important for that because if we were worried that the platelets were low, we you know, most of us would have investigated that fully and made sure that there wasn't any antibodies that mm-hmm. potentially were being developed. Um, and so I think 
you get to become pregnant again mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we, we always learn from our future, in, uh, sorry, our previous endeavours mm-hmm. uh, and we learn particularly in medicine, you know, whatever happened before, we better make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. So you become pregnant with six weeks. Mm-hmm. How many people did you tell this time? Um, oh, I don't know why, but this one, I can, it's this one's a blur. Yeah. <laughs> it must just be second, second pre- yeah, baby. Second. Everyone says that. Yeah. Well, less first, photos, less. The, well, that's it. The first pregnancy, you're on the app. How many, how many, what's it weighing? Exactly. Is it, is it a, what type of fruit is what it? What fruit am I up to? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, I don't think it was too, actually, it was quite early. I had to, we had a Christmas party and, um, for the company yeah. and, um, I wasn't drinking and I had to tell everyone very quickly because they would have picked it up. So it was nine weeks when I told the team. So, yeah, it was pretty early. And, again, I think I'd come a long way since having the miscarriage than having um, Nala. The dealing with the miscarriage is a lot easier, I think, once you do have the baby because you're like, I had to go through what I had to go through to get this gorgeous little girl. So I think it gives you perspective and you can appreciate the journey. Um, And I was exactly the same. Like everyone's going to know because I'm not going to keep it a secret. There's no point. I I just want to focus on something you just said then, which is, you know, we I think when women are pregnant and 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 social media probably propagates this a little bit. There's so much focus on the birth. Mm. Oh my god, the birth, yeah. the birth, the birth. But you got a baby who's now two, or in fact at that Christmas party, like you said, your focus is not on the birth. Your focus is on the baby. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to say because mm. I think we do get really. And, and even I do because I, I really it's enjoy it. It's my, my <laughs> job and I see it every day. But we really get focused on that 12 hours or 24 hours of labour um, and and yet it pales into insignificance compared to the life of the child. Mm. You know what I mean? When you look back at so the, When you look back and, you, you, you know, you do the 21st photos when Nala's 21st. Yeah, you'll have some photos of the Caesar probably and you smiling with Baba, but mm. there won't be any thought beyond that no. because there'll be so many other photos that follow yeah. afterwards. Yeah. All right, so you told everyone at nine weeks, did we do a gender reveal this time? I now? did, yes, I did a gender reveal yeah. this time. How, what was the gender reveal? I'm going to ask everyone about the gender I did. Reveals. I just did the balloon. Did the balloon? Yes, I did so the balloon. So it was in a black balloon and you it pop it? It was, yes. Yep. So I actually got one of um, my staff at work. So I was like, who am I in a towel to do this whole thing? And I'm, you know, I want to be in control. So I was like, I don't <laughs> want to just leave it up to someone and then, yeah. you know, pop the balloon, it's pink and it's blue. Like, yeah. I was like, that can't happen. You've seen the fails. I've watched yeah. so many fails. They're great, <laughs> but I didn't want it to happen to me. Um, so, yeah, it was one of the um, girls from work. Yeah. I gave her the... Um, the- the envelope and yeah. she went off and organised it all and... Um, so you just had the one balloon? Yes. I had it, actually, had the best one that I've heard of and we've seen some that have been quite rude, but the one, that, the best one <laughs> I've heard of is this uh, family, got a big Greek family, right? And you can imagine a whole family, a whole living room full of Greek people mm. talking o- over one another and they had 21 balloons, right? <laughs> and... Uh, it was so there was an odd number mm-hmm. for very, a very appropriate reason because the odd number would be the sex of the baby. Okay. So they've got all these black balloons floating up in the air and they're popping one balloon at a time. And so, of course, one would be pink and, and they went, oh, it's a girl. Everyone's shouting out, it's a girl, it's a girl, girl. Right, but then they popped the next one and it's blue. And then they, the parents said, look, we don't know which, there's 21 balloons here, we don't know which one it is, but the one that wins, the, 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 the number of colours, you know, pink is, ends up being 11 and that's a, right. it's a girl. If, if blue ends up being 11, it's a boy, right? Yes, yep. Um, but, of course, it doesn't go in order, so no. there could be two pinks in a row. Yeah. By the end, everyone's shouting out, no, 
there's been seven pigs. Someone goes, no, there's only been six. And you're shouting around. And everyone's losing it, completely so losing funny. it until someone who actually was documenting how many there was. Going, Set the record straight. Exactly. So I reckon that's a pretty good one. But I, I'm going to be interested to see some of the, the gender reveals as we keep going. So you did do a gender reveal here yes. at, at the 11-week mark or when you found yeah, out. Yeah, when we found out. Yeah, it was about that. 12 that time, mark, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. And so there was some – issues or concerns that your obstetrician had at that point, which mm-hmm. is understandable because yep. we've talked about what Nate can do or what low platelets can do in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and understandably, he was a little bit concerned that perhaps maybe this time around we might think about having Bubba somewhere else. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what his thought process was at that point. So he was really trying to find out um, basically what happened with Nala and what information that we had and he yeah. did a lot of investigations in regards to that. Um, and then he sent me off for an appointment with another obstetrician. Yeah. Um, so basically said, I can't look after you until you are cleared and you can come back down to me yeah. and then we can go to St. John and God if yeah. everything's okay. Um, so I saw another obstetrician who works out of Monash yes. and... Um, um, he explained everything to me, what it possibly could be. Yeah. He indicated that it was a really low probability. Yeah. And I remember him saying to me, um, you know, if it is this condition, um, the treatment for it is horrendous. Yeah. And I laughed and I was like, huh, I was expecting. Because a lot of people say, oh, I had to have an injection because mm. of the different blood type mm. and things like that. So I was like, oh, it's just going to be an injection, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, no, I'm serious. And I was like, oh, okay, this is quite a – and he's like, yeah, it's really involved. Um, mm. If you have this, the treatment's quite involved. Let's not talk about it because um, it's not that common. Yeah. So I thought, okay. So um, myself and my husband went off to have the blood test done. It yeah. took about eight weeks, nine weeks to come back. It was a really long time and I was constantly following it up because if I had this, I had an overseas trip booked to South Africa and they said you wouldn't be able to go if you're high risk because the treatment's weekly that you would need for this condition. So I was like on the edge and my whole, it was a big family trip that we've been planning for 12 months and everyone's like, don't, oh, don't get this. This is really going to wreck everyone's day and holiday if you can't go. Um, And I ended up getting the results and basically they said there's no way of ruling it in or out, it's more on a probability scale exactly, from yeah. what I understand. Yeah. And they said the, the the chance of you having this isn't high enough to warrant the invasive treatment that you would have to go through. Yeah. Um, so that was great. My family was happy and I'm seven months pregnant, went over to um, South Africa and had yeah. a great time. Um, and Was there anything that changed in... in- was any when you look back certainly the first twenty weeks of both the pregnancies anything different? I just felt um, it's almost like I I just didn't feel well and I felt a lot worse the second time around yeah. than with Nala, but not again not anything that I could kind of describe. Yeah. So to me it was just oh it's just worse second time around which talked to heaps of mums and they're saying um, that. And then obviously once he was born, they kind of explained that, well, because you do have this condition, um, your body's putting up a fight the whole time against something um, yeah. you inside you. So you're going to not feel that great yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, during the pregnancy. But, yeah, I just I didn't enjoy it. Of course. <laughs> I definitely am not a glowing, beautiful pregnant woman like yeah, I see yeah. some, yeah, yeah, yeah. some women. Some women um, take to I mean, that's interesting. I, mean, I find it very interesting that some women just, go sail through pregnancy really easily. I know, yeah. And others are like, get this thing out of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, um, it's really interesting. I always find it so interesting that, like you say, like women have been having babies forever 
And yet every single journey and experience and birth is so different. You think exactly. by now we would have something down pat. It's down like pat. this is the way it's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, but it's not. Like it's, yeah. And, it's, and it's true of cesarean birth as well. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, it's just another cesarean birth. But, you know, even as an obstetrician, things can be thrown your way. You know, the baby can be, I mean, even yesterday I had a baby where the head was down, absolutely down. And, Yet the baby's arm was trying to come out at the same time, so it was you know really difficult to try to get the baby out. Yeah. So it's about you. <laughs> so not, not uh, uh, we often uh, as if there was a a guy in India, an obstetrician in India, who got struck off from the medical board because he was teaching his five year old son to do a cesarean, and this kid was five years and was doing a Caesar, right. I was thinking to myself, but I don't reckon his five-year-old would be able to do this. Yeah. <laughs> what an interesting thing to wake up and be like, you need to learn how to do this either. It's yeah, interesting. Come, come on, son, come to work yeah, with come me. On. Um, so, uh, so in terms of you saying that you were feeling bad in the second pregnancy, worse. So what was there an intuition thing again? Um, probably looking back yeah. now. Probably, like yeah. it probably, I probably should have made a bit more of a deal, but I think, you know, you're constantly just trying to go, no, no, no like I'm grateful and I'm having a baby. Yeah. You, don't, you don't want to seem ungrateful. You don't want to seem like a victim and you yeah. don't want to whinge. Yeah. I definitely did, though, if you ask my team at work. Yeah. Um, I definitely let them know that it wasn't fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably, yeah. In saying that, though, like I don't know, I don't have anything but my own experience to compare it to. It was the worst the second time, but I, I feel like a lot of women say that. But that caught me off guard because I thought, I've done this before. This yeah. is great. My body knows what it's doing. Yeah. I know what's going on. I'm going to be more calm. I won't be as anxious as I was um, having. Yeah, yeah. You know, after the miscarriage, but I was. <laughs> Everything was amplified. Everything was, you yeah. know, more intense. And it is. It's difficult because you've gone through that first experience, and there was a level of anxiety in that last little bit of that that birthing experience, and. And again, you're sort of saying, I don't want to be that type of person. But it's it's important that if you feel like something's wrong, you tell people. Mm. Um, I mean, that's what we're here to do, you know, whether it be, you know, if in the public sector or in the private sector, pick up the phone and speak to us because we can only be of assistance if, mm-hmm. you're, if you tell us, yeah. Mm-hmm. So 20 weeks, the scan was good. Yep. Um, and we're getting now towards the latter part of your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Had you talked to your obstetrician about the prospect of a vaginal birth after a Caesar? He early on said just, like, I, I just, I wouldn't suggest it, which was unusual. Yeah. Obstetricians, you seem to kind of give the options and, yeah. you know, inform and then yeah. let, um, but he said, you know, it, I, it would be of my, I really would advise you um, to have an elective Caesar this time. Yeah. Um, it's just not worth the risk. Like if, um, and from my understanding with that particular condition, if it was that condition, which obviously wasn't confirmed, um, the it's a lot worse because your body has already built up that kind of defence mechanism. So as soon as that ends, you know, you have another baby, um, it, I guess, starts attacking that. Did you have bump. more frequent ultrasound scans in, this, in, in Wolf's pregnancy? Uh, I didn't up until the end, until the point where everything was really good. Yeah. And because I had been kind of ruled out, it had been investigated yes. and it kind of had been ruled out and I'd been pushed back down to um, my original obstetrician. Um, and then he had said, um, and he, he was measuring small like the 32 and he was measuring smaller than what mm. she was. So she. So he, was your obstetrician doing ultrasounds in the rooms or getting you to go somewhere? No, else? I was. Yep, sent offsite. I think it's. I, think, I mean, every obstetrician is different, but I think it's it, for, for people who, and I, I, this is particularly for people in the public sector. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, 
in fact, a lot of your antenatal visits in the public sector, you will not get a, an ultrasound. Okay. It's very different in my in my practice, in my own personal practice, and a lot of obstetricians here in, in at Freemasons, a lot of them will have an ultrasound machine, machine rather in our room. So we're scanning every single visit. Right. So these subtleties in terms of of weight changes we pick up very frequently. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of patients who've been in the public sector where they're not getting someone who's scanning them at every visit, but mm-hmm. they've been concerned mm-hmm. and they, they have been dismissed. By, mm-hmm. by whether it be the midwife or the obstetrician. And, and I think it's important that if you think your baby's small, mm-hmm. and particularly if you've had a first baby and you know what you were last time, mm-hmm. and you can, you've got this comparative, oh, well, I took a photo at 32 weeks, I look smaller this mm-hmm. time, that you go and tell them, hey, listen, I want to have an ultrasound. And yep. if they're not going to organise the ultrasound scan, go to your GP, get a form and go to a, an ultrasound department because yep. you can... It, there's no harm. Mm. Ultrasound's not going to hurt the bubba. Yeah. And having a scan to see that everything's okay is a really good thing. It's an interesting concept when you think about it that if, you know, a mum does want to have a scan, you do hear quite often that, you know, they wouldn't let me. Yeah. And, you, you yeah, it, it is so interesting. Well, I, had a, I, had a, I only had a lady last, uh, when she came and see me, Monday, uh, where she'd been saying to the midwives, she was at one of the hospitals in the eastern suburbs, um, and said, look, my baby's small. And they said, oh, no, she's Bubba's measuring all right. Mm. Um, and she said, no, 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 I feel the baby's small. So they made a one-off appointment to see me privately where I scanned her in my rooms and sure enough the baby was small. And we sent her off for a formal scan and I've sent the result back to the public hospital. So mm. you know, hopefully they'll follow In fact, they will follow it up because they are going okay. to. But um, I think it's important that you, you, if you're worried, mm. you, you, you go out and, and, and tell them. Yeah. So yep. the thir- how many weeks were we now? Sorry, 30. So I think 32 weeks. I had the. S- weeks. Is that, yeah, I feel like it was around that. And yeah. that's, is that when the size starts to be like the growth and the size starts to be kind of looked at? Quite- well, I mean, look, I, you, you tend, look, it's interesting. So basically, babies, ten, generally speaking, from zero to 12 weeks will follow a, a script, right? It doesn't matter if the baby's going to become a basketballer or if they're going to become a, you know, a, a, a coxswain in a, in, a, uh, in a rowing boat, right? They're going to be the same size. Mm-hmm. From 12 weeks onwards, you start to get this differentiation and mostly babies will follow the same trajectory. So mm-hmm. if they're going to be on the 10th centile, so they're going to be the 10th biggest baby, mm-hmm. then they'll tend to be the 10th biggest baby all the way through. If they're the 50th percentile, they'll tend to be the 50th centile all the way through. Mm-hmm. What can happen, of course, is that as the baby continues to grow, if the placenta's not working as well, the baby will drop centiles. So they'll go from at 28 weeks, the 50th centile, to 32 weeks, the 30th centile, 36 weeks, the 10th centile. And we then get an idea and understanding, well, maybe this placenta's not working as well. Mm-hmm. That's part of the one of the values. That's part of the reasons why, you know, in, the, in, the, in, in some obstetricians and midwives will t- check the, the, the tape measure of the, the height of the baby because mm-hmm. that gives us an indication of the growth of the baby or why we scan because it gives us that information about the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, babies can do spurts, so they can have a bit of a growth spurt and that can change the centiles. But generally speaking, we're following that trajectory. So 32 weeks we're... we're yeah, it was less than, I think it was like 20 centile or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So I went back and... But then again, you're not, you know, if you were standing in a room with 100 women... Yes. You'd be about the 20th tallest. We're not giving away your height as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Hang on, so is that 20th tallest? No, 20th lowest. So lowest, right. Yeah. So if you're the 20th centile... Yeah, so I'd be, I'd be taller than 19 people. Correct. Okay. 
That'd be about right, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I like so that. So if you've got a twenty <laughs> that's what I say to people. Your, your baby's sitting on the twentieth, thirty cent. If you had a baby on the ninety cent, I'd be worried, yeah? Because your baby's too big. <laughs> yes, yes. Did yes. you have diabetes this pregnancy? No, I didn't. Yeah, good. Didn't. Yeah. Which I was really happy about. Yeah. Um just because I just didn't want to yeah, <laughs> take the test four times a day yeah, yeah, mostly. Yeah. Um yeah, so at thirty two weeks and everything was looking good, movements were good, fluid was good, everything was good. Yeah. And then um he was talking to me and he's like, uh, my obstetrician said, Do you think we should do another scan? Like how are you feeling? And I said, I want to, because this is when we started to Correct. see um Nala change. And he's like, okay, good point. Yep, let's do it. So that's what I really liked. I liked that whole you could have a conversation and he would hear you and then go, yep, yeah. let's do it. So, um, and, and it was lucky because on the next one that I had, then he dropped and he's he was dropping quite quickly, mm. uh, well, sorry, significantly yeah. between um, the amounts. Um, and so when was this, 34 or 36? Yeah, I think 34. Yeah. And, and was he, he was down to, I think, the eighth. From wow. 20 to, yeah, 8. Um, and, yeah, he got right down. And I was really surprised because I was actually carrying, like, I felt like I was carrying bigger with yes. him as well. So when I went in and found out that he was quite um, small or that yes. he had dropped, it completely shocked me. Yeah. And then I started to go, are we heading down the same so path yeah. that we um, were? And then obviously the obstetrician was like, this is this is looking um, like that. So we had the um, cesarean booked in for the 39 weeks, as you yes. say, and he explained, all that, all that um, to me and the reason and things like that. Um, and, yeah, it was just, yeah, the scanning and then the I started having monitoring three times a week as yeah. well um, at the hospital in the mornings. So like when was Wolf born? How many weeks were you? Uh, I think just on 38. Oh, so we got to 38. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important to realise that a baby can drop centiles and we we – we're actually wanting the baby to stay inside the womb as long as possible. And a lot of people say to me, when does that mean, you know, when, when, when's the switch off point? When do we say, okay, enough's enough, the baby in your arms? And we look at a couple of factors. We look at the fluid around baby. We look at the blood flow through the placenta and the blood flow through the brain. And there's also another blood flow measurement that we use as well. And we also look at these non-stress CTGs where we're not stressing the baby out. They're not going through labour, but we're looking at the heart rate of the baby and trying to work out, is this baby a happy, healthy and small baby in the wound, in the womb rather, or is this an unhappy baby in, that's small in the womb? Because if it's an unhappy baby that's small in the womb, well, we better have Bubba out because mm-hmm. Bubba's going to be happier on the outside getting fed and fattened up rather than try to keep them inside the womb. But most of us, if not all of us now, are really trying to push to 39 weeks, uh, not only in terms of lung development, which I talked about before, and having less wet lung, but in addition to that, also neurodevelopment. So we know that uh, there is actually a lot of neurodevelopment that happens between 37 and 39 weeks. And so there's got to be a really good reason why we do a cesarean section early. And it might be because twins and it might be because baby's a little bit smaller um, and we're concerned about the potential outcome if we would allow baby to go for another week. Um, because at the end of the day, we're after all, the, everyone's everyone, irrespective of their point of view uh, on birth, Everyone's after exactly the same thing, which is a happy mum and a healthy baby. Absolutely. Or happy and healthy baby and mum, really. Mm, yeah. So 38 weeks. So this time around, 
was there was there like we're going to do it at thirty eight weeks? We're going to change our thirty nine weeks to thirty eight weeks, or was it you got to thirty eight weeks and oh my god, we're going again? I've got to make this this quick decision. No, no. So it was constant conversations. Right. Um, he he was um, on the phone to me a, a fair amount, saying like, yeah. "How are you feeling? What's going on?" Um, I did go up to hospital one of the nights because I had the increased movements again, yes. and I was like, "This is literally the same, same as yeah. what happened." Um, and I made the phone call, and even after that had happened with Nala, yeah. even after that, I was still like, am I being over the top? Am I am I just, um, because of that's happened, am I imagining this? Like, yeah. you know, and it, it's so crazy because, yeah. you know, I would say exactly like you're saying to anyone, if you're worried, go. Yes. But then when it's yourself, you're like, this is over the top. It's yeah. 3 a.m. Like I literally just like left the house and they said, you need to come up. Yeah. And I left the house and I just text my husband and I was like, I've just gone to get checked. Don't stress. I'll be back soon. But yeah. he's like, I can't believe you just left without like <laughs> waking me and telling me. And I was like, I felt like I was being over the top because yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, and everything was okay again. So everything, but that wasn't that reassuring for me at that point because I was like, yeah, that's what happened last time. So how many weeks was this? There was just before. So we ended up, so um, I went and saw Dr. L- um, my obstetrician the next day. Yeah. And that's when he said it started, the pitch is starting to look really similar. Um, And obviously, again, he said, we want to try to, um, you know, to to get as close as we can. And then he just, he said to me, how are you feeling? And I I said, I'm really highly strung at the moment because, you know, with with Nala, you know, anything could have happened if I didn't pick up on that and I didn't go for a scan and things like that. And I guess that played on my mind. So, um, yeah, we made the decision. I think it was a couple of days later then um, I was booked in. And sometimes. Sometimes um, we know because at 38 weeks there's still that I- issue of wet lung. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if there's a decision to do a cesarean section early, we often give an injection. Did mm-hmm. you get an injection to help mature baby's lungs yes. that time around? Yes, I did. So that's really important because we know that, as I said before, there's this whole thing about wet lung, but giving this injection, it's a, it's a, it's a corticosteroid. So it's not a steroid to make you, you know, like an anabolic steroid to make you stronger. It's a steroid injection that helps bring out the surfactant, which is like it's sort of like a liquid that helps prevent those air sacs from becoming sticky. So it allows them to spring open a little bit, uh, which means that Bubba can breathe a lot better. And hopefully, and maybe we'll talk about if Wolf needed to, any uh, respiratory support, but avoids going into the nursery mm-hmm. for concerns with respect to the lungs. So how did that transpire? How did, how did he go after the Caesar? Yeah, he was good. He was really yeah. good. Um, it was a completely different experience having a Caesar the second time so around. So you're knowing a little bit, you know a little bit about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you did your birthing class I did. in vivo last time. So you actually lived it, yes. done your birthing class, yes. now you know what it's all about. Exactly. So I was feeling very informed and, um, yeah, I knew exactly what was going to happen and it was a completely different situation because it wasn't in a rush. Yes. And it wasn't efficient Yeah. Um, as the last time, which was kind of caught me off guard as well. Yeah. Everything was really delayed and it was a lot of chit-chat and it was very relaxed compared to, you know, I was pushed down, there's another emergency, yeah. you'll be in an hour, blah, 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 and I was like, Okay, okay. And it's interesting, a lot of people are saying, geez, you two talked a lot. One would mean the person who's assisting <laughs> yeah. you talk about, you know, the footy. Exactly. Well, that's what it was like. It yeah. was so casual, which is also reassuring because you're yeah. like, you know, these people are so confident and yeah. so um, you know, on the ball that they can do that. 
and um, it's not a stressful situation. So, um, but I think it was more intense, yes. which is strange. What do you mean by intense? I just think because I was so present in every single moment and yeah. every single moment seemed to take a lot longer because right. it was just so much dr- more drawn out. Everything yeah. was a lot more relaxed and, um, yeah, I was just really kind of, I was feeling every movement right. and even, you know, after he was born, um, you know, being stitched back up, I felt like that was a lot more yep. intense because I was so concentrated on it, whereas last time I was, she was sick and I was just constantly thinking about her and I was kind of helpless in that moment yeah, yeah. and, um, yeah, my thoughts were elsewhere. Um, so. so so this time around, just because we, we obviously had separation where you were separated from now, mm-hmm. this time around the difference in the experience with Wolf because, you know, obviously we, was he with you now the whole time? Yes. So um, we had obviously the paediatrician look over him straight away and yeah. then um, straight away um, did skin on skin. Yeah. So I was asked kind of what I wanted and things like that beforehand and then, yeah, had some skin on skin time with him and he stayed with me the whole time. There was no um, no real concerns. Um, he was, yeah, there and it was beautiful. It was yeah. such a different experience. I think that connection I kind of, I didn't have that with Nala. I didn't see her for, it was hours and hours and hours um, later. And you also, you just, everyone says, oh, the moment you see them, you fall in love. But with Nala, I felt like I was going to die when I was holding her um, because obviously I had that sense of impending doom. And then after she was just gone and I didn't get a chance to. So I had this kind of sense of, um, yeah, I should have this overwhelming feeling, but I don't yeah. because I don't have that connection. Whereas with him, it, it just being with me the whole time, um, yeah, it was completely, completely different. And the connection, and I, and I, and I got what women were talking about. Yes. You know, um, that 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 instant. And in terms of breastfeeding with Wolf, same yep. sort of thing. Yeah, yep. So um, yeah, when we're in recovery straight away, they said, yeah. "Did you want to try?" And I was like, "Yep, definitely." And yeah, yeah he latched, and yeah, it was beautiful. It was yeah, yeah easy. And, and you're still breastfeeding? Yes, still foremost. breastfeeding. Yes. And I, I think I, I want to just draw you, I suppose, particularly because you had such a, a, a different birthing experience. And, again, both of them are unique. And, mm-hmm. and maybe just let's fast forward now. You talked about connection. But if you, you know, you're playing with Nala or you're, you're you know, you're, is there any, do you feel a sense of no. loss about what happened at that time? And it was yeah. just a time. I, I think that's important because, People will, again, once again, focus on that. what happened. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to look back favourably upon a birthing experience, but that it's not going to cloud the rest of that kid's life no. in terms of how yeah. you bond. Absolutely. But it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I think, and you talked about not breastfeeding the first time around, and that in part was probably because she was unwell. Yes, yeah. She was small. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously she'd had the wet lung and all that sort yep. of stuff. And, and being in, and like you said, being in an environment that wasn't conducive mm-hmm. to breastfeeding because she was in a special care. Yes, yeah. Uh, that makes it a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. And she probably would have if you'd given birth two yep. weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's important because people will think, oh, well, it was a cesarean section, that's why you didn't breastfeed. <laughs> and uh, you get that a lot from a lot yeah. of people that mm. they say, well, the cesarean section means you're not going to be able to okay. breastfeed. There you go. But it's important to remember that, you know, if you're well supported and your baby's happy and healthy and you're wanting to breastfeed, yeah. irrespective of whether you're having a vaginal birth or a Caesar, you can, you can certainly breastfeed. Mm. Magnificent. Was there anything that you, when you look back at both of them and uh, that you think I oh, would have wanted to change that or I'm thankful for something? 
no, I th- like you say, they're both unique and I'm not one to dwell and I'm not one to, um, you know, look at Nala's birth. And although, you know, it was it was crazy, like you say, I've got this beautiful little girl who's about to turn three, like, yeah. and, and it was just, you know, 24 hours that yeah. was, you know, and sometimes you just have to go through that and... Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit sad that there is that whole concept that, you know, cesarean versus vaginal and different opinions and things like that because, um, yeah, everyone should just own their own journey. And I think I did that with both, um, with both of my experiences. They were, um, they were, although, you know, Wolf was, you know, fantastic and it was, um, it was different. It ended up being, exactly the same position as Nala. So we, um, I think it was on the fourth day, they yeah. realised that his playlist levels were, low again. were dramatically lower. So how much low, how, how low were his? His were just over the threshold. So they must have been about 21. Jeez. Um, oh, they might have been. Are you going to have another baby? I feel, I don't know. I've got to go to an appointment on the 27th <laughs> to say, find out what the treatment would be uh, like. So well, I, think, I think you probably do. I mean, it's interesting because if the platelets, one of the things we get concerned about with platelets being low is bleeding in the brain. Mm. Obviously, both of them have been checked, but bleeding in utero. In mm. the okay. And so that's why I was asking about the frequency of your ultrasound scans because we often get worried about that and whether we should be doing more, yep. more testing and whether we... Know, whether you needed to have a test to see how many platelets Wolf had inside yeah. you, as an example. Yes, yeah. Because you do need you, the, the the medication that we give you on a weekly basis is there to sort of what it does is sort of it cloaks or masks the or it overwhelms the body with antibodies so that the platelets don't get consumed or the ba- baby's platelets don't get consumed. Okay, right. Um, so yeah, you're right. It is a, it, it, but it's it's difficult because you've had it twice. Yeah, yeah. and it wasn't even though that I'd gone through that with Null, It was that, that blood test was meant to happen as soon as he was born. Yeah, but it was missed. Yeah, uh, a bit of miscommunication and um, same pediatrician though. Different, different pediatrician, pediatrician yeah. and um, a conversation had happened and it yeah. was just um, missed. It was just missed. And, yeah. yeah, I was asked at the four-day mark, so I was going, checking out the next morning at 10. Yeah. And the biggest thing that I liked about that experience is that uh, he was with me the whole time. He was in the room and anyone would talk to me and I was like, it is just been the, the most beautiful, like we are in a bubble. Yeah. And I didn't get that the first time and it was it was really, really beautiful and I really enjoyed it. And then my obstetrician came in in the morning and they said, what were um, what were his platelet levels just out yeah. of interest? I was like, I didn't hear anything, so I'm yeah. assuming normal. Yeah. And 10 minutes later, someone comes in with a trolley to take his bloods and I was like they've missed it they didn't take it and then from there it was just this whole um, roller coaster of he needs to be transferred immediately and um, because obviously with a second baby it's it's a lot worse because you've already got that built up from the first pregnancy Um, so yeah he would have the same thing would have happened he would have been transferred out straight away if it was picked up at that point and we're just really lucky that nothing happened in those four days so we were transferred back over to um to monash and um i was discharged because i was going home at you know um 10 the next morning anyway and um and that was more emotional going through that thinking you weren't going to go through that yeah and thinking we're at the end and just about to go home and enjoy your family um or four and then just ending up back in the same this time he was in for longer because his platelet levels were significantly lower um and i think it was about five five days and this time around you would have been commuting backwards and forwards yes 
So I, with the new Monash, obviously they've yeah. got the um, facility so one parent Could can stay, stay yeah. um, with baby, which we were really lucky um, that I stayed with him the whole time. And they're always saying, we don't even need to do anything because obviously when they've got low platelet levels, as long as they're not bleeding, course. they're just on watch. So yeah. I was changing his nappies and I was doing everything. They're like, yeah. we just need to check in. It's great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for me it was it brought back a lot of emotions that I think I didn't, I don't think that I actually dealt with them properly with Nala. It was such a whirlwind and then just to be back there it all came back I mean I was a mess like I was just a yeah did, I was did so you, upset did you I mean we, we're very conscious now about perinatal mm. uh, depression and mm. anxiety do you think you had an element of anxiety or depression after birth <sighs> with Nala well either both oh, I don't think so with Nala oh, definitely things I didn't deal with yeah. I definitely kind of was like, okay, that happened and I can acknowledge that happened. Um, but the fact that we didn't get any closure of why it happened and things like that, um, but also just the experience, I was just so terrible just not to be with your baby. And I think to know what it's like then, we didn't know what we're missing with Nala. We didn't yeah. know what it was like to have skin on skin and to breastfeed and to have this beautiful bubble where people come and visit you. We didn't even have visit, visit, visitors with Nala yeah. because you just couldn't in special care. And, yeah. you know, she has tubes and it's overwhelming and all that kind of stuff for people so I think having those four days of going this is what it's meant to yeah, be like yeah. this is beautiful this is the best thing and literally being on cloud nine to then being taken to that route like back to oh, I cannot believe it has yeah, happened and yeah. it was so crazy how it unfolded because for four days it was just cruisy and everything was perfect and he was perfect and then to like a literal emergency with an ambulance and you know he's getting transferred over and potentially a blood transfusion is going so to how, happen. How long did he stay in hospital for this time? And you said it was long. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. She was like, she bounced back quite quickly. Yeah. So her platelets were quite low, but they built up quite qu- quickly. Yeah. Um, and it was only a few days that she was at Mount, um, Monash for. So yeah. he was about five, five days, and then we were discharged with hospital in the home after right. that for, um, yeah, like a week and a half, two weeks. Checking so, yeah, just checking to make sure um, weight gain and things like that. So and everything's presumably fine now as well at the four month mark with Wolf. Sorry? Everything's all right. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So everything's fine. And the way they kind of explain it is obviously when, you know, during the pregnancy, you know, there's that process where my body's attacking, you know, his body pretty much. And um, But once he's out, then he's free from that and then he can thrive and build those platelet levels up. So, yeah. I want to touch on, you just talked about how with Nala you had no one to come visit you. And then, of Mm. course, with... um, with, with Wolf, you had four four days where everyone yes. came. <laughs> Often people ask me, you know, when's the best time to have a have your visitors? Mm-hmm. And I say to them, just spend the first twenty four hours. Don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just the two of you. Yeah, I remember my own story where my wife. I've got. I've come from an Italian family, and so my family obviously all came. My wife's English background. She's got very few family members here, but she remembers being. We were at the hotel. And in the post postnatal ward in the hotel, and she remembers our daughter getting passed from one relative to another, and just freaking out like this is her firstborn baby. Yep. And his baby's being passed past the parcel, yes, unwrapped yes. and looked and yes. everything. <laughs> so, what did you? How did you manage? I mean, I often say to the husbands or the the, the partner, um, I say, look, be a be like a bouncer. Yes. Don't let anyone come in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, how did how did your husband? Uh, you know, 
Well, I was excited for everyone to come because I wanted that. I want the flowers and I want the. And he's so cute. I was like, look at him. He's perfect. I wanted. I want everyone to come in because I missed that the first time with Nala. So, um, you know, we by the time anyone knew that we'd had it, we were at home. Everyone's like, what? Like, what's happened? And um, yeah, so it was really nice to have everyone. I liked it. Like, and in saying that, it was still really limited. It wasn't, you know, lots of different groups of people at the same time. And um, how did you? Roster them? What did you do? Yeah, pretty much. Please don't come because I, I just imagine you with a clipboard saying, <laughs> You're coming at 6 p.m. Pretty much. To be honest, pretty much. So, my daughter was the first to meet him. We yeah. thought that that was so. Um, Mum brought um, her up yeah. to, to meet him and um, and she came in. And, and then, yeah, it was just kind of. They're pretty strict at St. John of God with yeah, their times yeah. and they will come in and say, no, nope, it's time to rest now. So yeah. that kind of works in your favour as well because you don't have to say anything and they yeah. kind of just control it. Um, but, yeah. I, I definitely think, like, because we had that um, time back in, you know, the room and everything like that with um, without anyone coming for, it was probably a good four or five hours, which... Yeah. Um, Gave you a bit of time just Yeah, it was a bit, yeah, well, and it was really nice. It was yeah. really nice. So are there any sort of, I suppose, now people are going to look at you and you're, again, a successful businesswoman and been a paramedic in the past, had a bit of a change of career and a mother of two. Are there any sort of bits of advice you would offer prospective mums, women who are becoming, who are on the verge of becoming um, mums or uh, or even mums themselves about, you know, parenthood, pregnancy? I think you've kind of covered it off. Like you say, like when I first sat down and thought about having a family, it was like, well, what's lined up? What, what do I need to make this happen? And really, once you have them, you're like, oh, nothing else matters. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter if, you know, you, everything's not, not perfect because um, it doesn't need to be. You know, you can still continue. I, I still continue to run my business. I'm back full time, um, you know, and I'm still still managing that. It, life doesn't have to stop. Yeah. So don't stress, I think, when you, when you, you know, want to have a baby or your partner wants to have a baby. Um, yeah, nothing is ever going to be perfect all at once. Um, and, yeah, that's probably the biggest lesson um, that I've taken away. And, and secondly, like you said, like trust yourself and trust the professionals around you, I think is really important. Be educated, be informed. Don't go in how I went in with Nala. Ignorance is bliss. It's silly. Mm. <laughs> it's really silly. Um, you know, just know, know your, your rights and have a good relationships, you know, with those people around you, whether it's your obstetrician or just your healthcare providers yeah. um, and, and trust them and, and trust your own instincts yeah. as they were really important in both pregnancies for me. And I think hats off. Firstly, the husband for wanting to have kids. <laughs> I think it's. I, I'm really. I'm. I mean, I, I do fertility, a lot of fertility, mm-hmm. and it's very interesting how how the dynamics when a couple present themselves into the room. Mm-hmm. About the vast majority of the time, it's well, this is the woman's issue. Yeah. Know? And the bloke sits there as a passive sort yeah, of. Wow. I'm being brought along to this appointment. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why I'm here. Yeah. And, you know, it obviously takes two to tango. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's obviously going to involve the bloke as well. Mm. Um, obviously I see same-sex couples and single couples and so or single females rather for, for pregnancy stuff as well. But even they have their own, you know, partner issues as well. Mm. So, you know, often I'll have a same-sex couple and a woman, come, her part, her wife or her partner comes along and why does my wife or partner have to come along? Because it's totally, both of you are going to raise the kid, oh. yeah. Hundred percent. So it's quite it's quite uh, encouraging to 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 hear that your, your your husband was you know focused on 
wanting to be a dad as yeah. well. Yeah, and he was really, you know, conscious of that biological clock and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff That's as awesome. well. He's actually, um, so we've obviously got two and he owns a business as well. Yeah. So um, with Nala, we both continued to run both of our businesses yeah. and I went back at um, two weeks with her. Yeah. Um, I was kind of in a situation where I had to mm. um, and, you know, it was okay. It was, it was a bit of a hustle but it was okay. Yeah. But um, now we've got two children and um, two businesses it has just been, you know, absolutely crazy. Like in, I, I just never thought that just one more, one more baby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to adding that the to the third's our, a lot easier. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know, Chris. You're listening. Um, but yeah, we've actually just made the decision that he's going to be a stay-at-home dad. Yeah, so well, yeah, awesome. so even that, you know, that's sparking a lot of conversations. Of um, all of his friends have actually been saying, "Oh, I." I'm so jealous of you, <laughs> which is really interesting I, look, dynamic. I, I think it's going to be a massive trend in yeah. the future. I mean, yeah. I think that the whole notion of gender stereotypes mm-hmm. is being chucked out the wall yeah. and uh, there's no doubt in my mind that it's going to become the norm. Yeah. And and so so it should. I yeah. mean, you know, I, you know there's, a, there's a lot to be said for if we're in a fortunate position where any one of the parents can look after a child, it's great and really irrespective of whether it's the mum or the dad, there's yeah. no reason why it needs to be one or the other. And, of course, I think the other person to, to have hats off to, and you can give a shout-out to him, is your obstetrician because, you know, at the end of the day we make as clinicians very difficult decisions on behalf of our patients. Mm-hmm. And, and part of being a really good health practitioner, and, and I speak on behalf of both obstetricians and midwives, is trying to empower women to make a informed decision about their choice about their their body and mm-hmm. about also what's going to happen during the birth and or pregnancy and it's sometimes very difficult to navigate that without being without sounding patronizing and being paternalistic um, but I think you know he did a fantastic job being able to navigate you through the whole issues that you had in terms of your pregnancy and certainly leading up towards the latter part of the pregnancy mm-hmm. where critical decisions needed to be made. Yes, yeah. And that's, you know, that takes someone who's got a good good set of skills and obviously developed a good rapport with you. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yes, hats off to him. <laughs> All righty. Well, this has been a wonderful, um, I don't even know how we've gone, how long we've gone for. I think it's a lot longer than what we anticipated <laughs> we were going to go for. So um, thank you so much for listening to this oh. episode uh, with uh, Nikki. I'm, I certainly hope that you found it very enjoyable and entertaining. We're going to keep going with these uh, podcasts on a fortnightly basis and and issue them out sort of on a Thursday. And you can listen to new episodes of Bump, Birth and Beyond um, in the coming weeks. Uh, Make sure you keep up to date with me and be the first to hear about new episodes uh, via uh, our Instagram, my Instagram handle, which is at Dr. Joseph Scroy. And you can also follow me on Facebook as well. And also my website, www.drjoseph.com.au. And, of course, Tiny Hearts, which provides not only education in terms of, um, you know, your baby and what happens when you're at home with your bubba in terms of, uh, you know, medical emergencies, but also birthing education as well as we've talked about in this episode. And you can find uh, follow Tiny Hearts Education on their Instagram and Facebook as well via the obvious handles. And thank you so much, Nikki. It's been an absolute pleasure to revisit my baby's birth. I know, you know what, and I hope in part not only from your own perspective as a nice journey down memory lane, but that um, everyone out there in in podcast land has a a better understanding about the different types of experiences, exactly the same as their in section, Mm -hmm. but a different type of experience uh, in terms of the outcome. Absolutely. Thank you. No worries.